Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here at the courthouse here in Colleton County in South Carolina. It's actually Waterboro. Guys, with me, a longtime friend and colleague, Dr. William Maroney. Now, this guy not only wrote the book, American Narcan, he is a renowned medical examiner, and he is a toxicology expert. That's why, you know, I've got so many questions about the case, Dr. Maroney, but first, let me tell you what happened. So we, we were in court, and they brought, the defense brought on two experts to counter the state's experts. One was the pathologist. He was saying, no, 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 that's the wrong trajectory path. He mostly agreed with everything the state said, except for a little bit, like maybe one point about Maggie and one point about Paul Murdoch's death. Then they brought on a crime scene expert, but that's actually not what I want to talk about. Dr. Maroney, when we broke for the lunch break, I ran out in front of the courthouse and did our normal Fox Nation live program. And we were waiting and waiting and waiting for court to resume. Dr. Maroney, the weather here is like being in Savannah, Georgia. It's beautiful. So I just took off and walked for about an hour around Waterboro. Dr. Maroney, it's beautiful. It's a lovely little town. And the houses are like, um, I wouldn't call them antebellum homes, but they're beautiful. They're period homes. The weather was almost hot. It wasn't really hot. It wasn't really cold. It was like a warm bath, you know, just right. Everybody is friendly, like super friendly here. And it made me think about what all Murdoch will be saying goodbye to if he's convicted. Well, you lose a lot when you don't have insight and you drift towards uh, criminologically active behaviors, but that's because society wants to isolate those people, and there's just so many questions about his behavior, um, his past experience, his manipulations, his psyche. Well, wait, right there, Josh Maroney. Have you ever known a single drug addict that didn't lie? Really, be honest, a single drug addict that didn't lie. Well, I would say, I I don't use the word lie. I would say 
that many of my patients lack insight and they are not valid historians. That's what I would say. But okay, you it, know, it, Dr. Moroni, you and I say the same thing. Me, they're not valid historians. Okay, that's screwed up. They lie. I don't know why they lie. Well, I, they don't want people to find out about their habit. And they lie to get the money for the habit. They take money away from the family or whoever they love or whoever's attached to them. Uh, they commit crimes to get the money because it's expensive. But I've got so many questions for you. Number one, this guy, Alex Murdoch, was completely lucid when police came to the home the night of the two murders. If he was up to $50,000 a week in opioids, I mean, could he have a tolerance level lying about the degree of addiction? It is not uncomfortable. I mean, it is not uncommon in many of the severe addiction cases that I have been brought. People are taking 60, 70, 80 pills a day, almost 100 pills a day. And I know for okay, sure. Okay, wait, wait, wait. What did you just say? 80 pills a day? How can that be? Well, they have to take 10 or 15 to get out of bed. And they take another 10 or 15 because these pills only last three, four, five hours. They don't last all day. So they're dosing themselves six times a day at... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, you said that a pill, like an oxy... Are we saying oxycontin or oxycodone? Well, they, they come in and they'll call it oxycontin, but it could be the generic oxycodone. It's... It's a rapid, um, it has a very short half-life. Sometimes they chew it, too. They don't just swallow these. Okay, you wait, wait, wait. The hold, hold, the chew, hold the chewing. He said that they can take 60, or 80, 60 to 80 pills a day because yeah. they each pill only lasts like three hours. But correct me if I'm wrong, there's 24 hours in a day. Why do I need 60 pills to get through one day, Maroney? Because... You start getting withdrawal. And when withdrawal hits, your body just gives off fluid. Your eyes water. Your mouth salivates. You feel like you're going to vomit. You can't hold your bowels. You have shortness of breath. And these are terrible feelings that with that comes anxiety and uh, really low blood pressure. And, and you can't stand it. So you take more opiates and then it calms you down. But that's not how it starts. That's how it is two or three years later. Okay, how does it start? I want you to explain what I'm getting at is how can he be on 50 grand of opioids a week, number one, and how can he be so lucid when the cops show up? I mean, he's lucid on the 911 call. He's lucid when the cops get there. He continues to be lucid. We know, according to him, he had pills in his pocket, illegal pills, when the cops were there. So he was probably so high as a kite when he went in for the interview as well. Would that explain why he just sat there with his legs crossed when they said, you're a double murder suspect? What we know, and, and, and it's uh, different than, than the stereotype, is that he, he may not be subdued and have slow speech and slow thinking because his body has become tolerant. 
But when the drugs work on the long-term process in his brains, there are two things that commit to this murder that come from the criminology of long-term opiate use. The number one thing is a lack of insight. He knows nothing other than the current event, the, the minute, what he's actually doing. And the second thing is impulsivity. So those two professionally screened events in long-term opiate use lead him to criminal behavior. And it is the lack of insight that is moral and ethical consequences and long-term planning and impulsivity. These are the two things that come when you rewire the brain that nobody can wait. They have to have what they have. And they have to have it right now. That's the impulsivity. And the lack of insight is there is no moral compass. There is no anchor uh, that is ethical. There is no, he does not have the frontal lobe activity, the higher power. That lack of insight comes from opiates rewiring the brain in that pleasure circuit that he's constantly seeking pleasure and to stay out of withdrawal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of sh**. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek 
and other convicted murderers. Started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. You said something that really struck me. It's almost like a child. They live in that moment, that moment. And they don't think ahead and they don't think back. So at that moment, and he allegedly shot them dead, he wasn't thinking about the future, his law practice, this beautiful little town where he lives, the courthouse where his dad and his grandfather's portraits are hanging in the hall, his law partners, nothing. He's thinking about that moment. Nothing else matters. But how does that tie into the opioids or the addiction? When the brain is rewired for pleasure, you no longer have a long-term plan for the future. And here's where, uh, I, I don't know this part of the law, so you can correct me and guide me. He may have picked up guns and seen an opportunity and decided to shoot his family members instead of planning a week ahead or a month ahead because his brain was rewired in that immediate pleasure circuit for impulsivity that no normal person would ever demonstrate. And when we bring people through the disease of addiction and we bring them back into society, we have to remind them that they have to rewire their brains to not be impulsive. That's part of the treatment because part of, you know, like any chronic disease, you have a list of symptoms. In substance use disorder, when the, re- when the brain is rewired, that impulsivity is something nobody can understand unless they've been through it. Now, I see it a thousand times a month in my patients, and I've seen it for 20 years. Well, what so about this? I'm what about the fact that just before it. the murders, Maggie and Paul had each and together found his pill stash and had confronted him about it? Has, has the um, prosecution said who was shot first? Yeah, Paul was shot first. Okay. In the end, he may have been angry, and uh, he shot Paul, and then he said, oh, shit, what did I do? This is terrible. And, and his impulsivity led to shooting his wife that he would have never done before, but he did it because of this lack of insight and impulsivity. Well, here's the fly in the ointment with that theory. He lured Maggie to the hunting lodge, which shows malice aforethought, mens rea, intent. He told her that he was worried about his father, Mr. Randolph, passing away. And she stated to others that's why she was going there. 
and she didn't really want to go, but she was going. And that says to me he planned this, so that completely destroys the impulsivity theory. Well, it's it's not that it, it destroys it, but it also shows that his lack of insight reaches deep down into the moral aspect of killing another person. This is not his first rodeo. You know, he's probably been involved in traumatic deaths, so this was very easy, and that um, the impulsivity of killing her is something that uh, straightforward, we see people who they look at somebody, they figure they have a wallet, they push them down, they go through their pockets, they take their, their money, uh, they carjack people, they take keys, they, um, they're trying to rip people off, and all that comes impulsively because when their brain is rewired, they don't think there's any consequences. And he is in a situation where he has got himself out of consequences before. He's Many never times. had. Oh. Many times. And, and when, when, you, when you look at the amount of him not being held accountable and him not having consequences, and then you add some criminology on top of that, and then drug use and the lack of insight. Okay, let me ask you impulsivity. this. Go ahead. I thought for sure that there would be girlfriends and mistresses paraded in front of the jury. All we've heard about, and the jury has not heard about it, is an affair he had about 10 or 15 years ago, and Maggie was still upset about it. And I don't blame her, because you feel like you could never trust the person again. Let me ask you this. Does the is incredible use of opioids what effect does that have on your sex drive? I mean, do well, you, you lose your sex drive or do you just become like a sex addict? The long-term consequences of opioids on the pituitary and testosterone is an imbalance that leads towards lower sex drive and lower testosterone in men. Does that make sure sense? Why I had, yeah. This would explain why we haven't heard about a recent affair. Okay, next question. Is it physically possible to take that many pills and not kill over dead? Oh, and Jackie wants to know if Murdoch was using that many drugs, why no weight loss? So the weight loss is difficult. Um, there are some people that feel tremendous constipation and that constipation leads you to less of an appetite because you have to have a system that allows you to eat at one end and defecate at the other. That is uh, patient-specific. But what would be more important is, was he the wrong color? Was he pale? Did he look ashen? Now, maybe yes. he didn't lose weight. But those are signs of toxicity in the liver, which come from all of the things in those tablets. One of the things, that, and I'm not uh, purporting to say that uh, any drug use, IV use, snort use, smoking, or oral is better, but one of the reasons why long-term drug users stop taking pills and go to injecting is they bypass the stomach. 
and they get what they need because they bypass the stomach and they go straight IV. There's no reports of him injecting at any no. time. And he stayed with oral meds, which means he's taking a lot of calcium filler. He's taking sucrose. He's taking lactose. He's taking other binders. He's taking dyes. And all that stuff, it, it's toxic to the liver in the long term. It makes the liver work too hard. And then you don't make as much uh, red blood cells. You don't make as much hemoglobin. Your chemistry's off. And you look sick. You're the wrong color. He says his addiction is to, quote, opioid painkillers, specifically oxycodone and oxycontin. I mean, can and you take that many pills and live? A 60-day appeal oxy habit. 60 pills a day. I mean, wouldn't that cause emotional numbness, severe depression, withdrawal? I mean, that's No, because those opioid. pills are giving him his energy. Pills? He's getting... Oh, they give you energy. They, the, across the board, OxyContin users have said... For 15 years, those pills gave me energy. There's something about the oxycontin, the oxycodone molecule that is different than a lot of the other opioids. Sometimes we think that they're all the same and, you know, high doses of morphine and heroin and opium, they make you sleepy. Anybody that knows people who've been oxycontin users know that they're buzzed. They're wired. It's a totally he says different he's 67 oxycodone pills a day. Yeah, and I would say, you know, if you're taking uh, 15 or 20 of those of three or four times a day, that would, that would keep you wired like that. Physically, I have I mean, could you still function as a lawyer? Because it starts slow and it goes up to that dose over a year or two, Yes, you can function at that level. Your body still functions. But when I tell you that you lose the insight, you no longer make the same moral decisions and, and impulsivity drives you to criminal behavior that when you're sober, you would never go in that direction. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Well, can That's you cause an outburst like one that may have resulted in Maggie and Paul's murders? I mean, look, I know that pot makes you typically sleepy and lethargic. Not everybody, but most people. Um, meth makes you crazy and you imagine monsters and you attack people and chew their faces off and just you imagine that bugs are crawling all over your body and you lose your teeth. I don't know. I mean, do opioids, could they cause an emotional outburst that would end in the murders of two people? All the opioids are different. They're not exactly the same. But we have known for 20 years that people who use OxyContin excessively outside of the FDA-approved range have all said they got energy, they got a buzz, it got them through the day. I had a very nice lady 
that you would have never guessed that was uh, in, in the stronghold of addiction, look at me and say, if I take my Oxycontin, I can work on the farm. I get up at five o'clock and I go to work and I work till 10 or 11. Then at noon, I go to work in the factory and I work second shift. She held down two jobs as a farmer and as a factory worker. And at one point, she gave up the factory worker to become a roofer. These are physically very hard jobs. And she said, I didn't have any problem do that when I got my Oxycontin. When I got my Oxycontin, I do everything. I do anything. I had energy all day. And for 20 years, that's one of the detrimental things in the opioid crisis. And a lot of people think, well, you know, they're all the same. Oxycontin got people through the work at factories. It got older people pushing 50 and 60 to keep up with the 30-year-olds. That's why it was a crisis, because sooner or later, the government and uh, the states and the insurance cut all those people off, and now they feel those pains. I don't know that it gives you the energy, but if it takes away your pain, then what yeah. you're doing well, is you're able to function without pain. You start building up a tolerance, so where you used to be able to take one pill three times a day, suddenly you need two, then you need four, then you need eight. And if you don't take that many, you start going into withdrawal because, let me understand this, opioids bind to opioid receptors in your brain and your spinal cord and other parts of your bodies. Now, to me, a receptor is an object or an entity that receives. So opioids bind to your brain and spinal cord and other areas of your body. When those opioid receptors are full, then they start emptying out and you have withdrawals. So you have to take more and more and more to get that feeling of euphoria or pleasure, right? Is that how it works? It is, and here's what ends up happening. Let's say the number of receptors you have in your brain that just get pain management, uh, you know, 10 or 20% of your opioid receptors, well, as the brain accommodates, it may lower those number of receptors because it doesn't want too many. It's, it's, it's a reflex. It's called receptor down regulation. So then later on, you need more drug to fill more receptors as mm. the brain lowers the number of receptors you have to take more to fill the same receptors so eventually, and he's been doing this over a decade yes absolutely now let me and, understand when you opioid addictions can trigger extreme it sounds like a dementor have any of your children had Harry Potter? Uh, we went to Harry Potter parties. We have Harry Potter uh, oh, ornaments on our Christmas tree. We have you Harry have Potter. No, you have to there. read the books while the movies are wonderful. They're not the same as the books. I've read every single one to the twins. And you need to know what a Dementor is. A Dementor is something that comes along, it flies up, it's dark, it really doesn't have a face. And it is like a, a dark ghost. And it flies up usually in a group 
and they suck all the joy out of you and you're just left as a shell of what you were before you'd rather die so my point is i think opioids act like a dementor they trigger feelings of intense sadness and hopelessness when you can't get your fix so you know to even keep your spirits up you just have to keep taking it in order to get any kind of happiness that's a very good description and it's very visual and people that have seen that in harry potter read about that they can understand that and it almost matches word for word what people looking to get out of the trap of opioids and to get sober what they say because their normal emotions are gone and they but what know about violence is it like pcp or other drugs that make you more prone to violence they don't drive you to violence like psychosis but they would drive you to violence with the fact that I'll return, that you have the lack of insight, there are other answers that are nonviolent. Mm -hmm. So you have no you impulse control, you have no insight, you're only living in that exact moment like a child. And if someone threatens to take away your opiates, it's like the dementia sucking the joy out of you, and you'll do anything to avoid it. That is almost exactly word for word what some people have said to me. When they come to me and they say, I got to get off this stuff. If I don't, I'm going to die or I'm going to go to jail because I just don't feel right. And I'm doing things that I know are wrong, but I'm still doing them. Dr. Maroney, it just, it's of course not a defense. But when I look at him, he looks so pale. And especially around the times of the murders, his eyes just look out at you like there's nothing behind them. I tell people who start opioid treatments with us to, to opioid uh, disorder treatments, I say, this doesn't change overnight, but you're gonna have this lack uh, of insight and you're gonna have this impulsivity that you want it now. And a part of you going to therapy with a therapist is to learn to be patient and slowly, nobody's ever put a, a, a finger on the number, but in my clinic, I tell people when you're drug free from the opiates and you're on our treatment and counseling, it takes about two years oh, for you to get back the joy and the understanding and the impulse control. Oh, Dr. And that's counseling no, I'm, I'm every so month. I never took a drug. Oh, thank I just feel so bad for people that are tangled up in drugs and they can't get out and they have no right, real joy in their lives. Dr. Maroney, I didn't mean to, to take all your time. It's just so good to talk to you, and you make it so easy to understand. Guys, with me, Dr. William Maroney, my longtime friend, colleague. His most important title, however, is husband and dad to awesome children. Please send me some more pictures, Dr. Maroney. I will, and you send me yours. I will. Bye, buddy. Thanks, man. Bye, friend. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 
20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Luis Garcella finally tells his story, and so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.